0: Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Lord, we give you thanks and praise that you have revealed yourself through Scripture. You have also promised that those who search for you will find you and they will be found by you. Lord, we thank you that as we seek to be able to read the Scriptures, we read of eternal life They bear witness about Christ, the one who has given us eternal life, the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. That they bear witness about who Christ is. We pray, Lord, as we read this passage, we would see the author and founder of our faith, Jesus Christ, that our hearts would be enlightened by the working of the Holy Spirit, that you would receive all glory and honor, that we would leave here a changed people for your name and your name's sake. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen. Hear now the word, of Lord, from Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It is God's holy, inerrant, life giving word. Please take heed how you hear. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. The perfect church does not exist. In my few and uh, small years, of have been a leader in the church. There's been times where friends or uh, family or others have been able to come to me and share their, their burdens upon the church. They find themselves stuck in a situation or a church where they're not sure what to be able to do. They come and upset hearts about how things have been handled. Or maybe they come and their doctrine has changed over years. The church in which they joined many years ago has remained the same, but their doctrines or their stances have changed on minor things. They come understanding and seeing the faults and flaws of the church that they're in. They come maybe looking for a new church. Maybe they've left a previous church due to relocation or other factors. But they have in their mind this ideal church in which they were looking for. Some of them are often realistic expectations. They have certain boxes on their they're, uh, they're looking to be uh, checked off and ticked. They understand they're not going to church that is perfect, but they at least have some understanding of what they are looking for. Now, my advice is almost always very similar in situations, that you're not going to find the perfect church. And you're better going to an imperfect church than seeking to find a holy grail that does not exist on this side of heaven. And if you do find the perfect church on this side of heaven, I suggest you don't join it, because then you will either ruin it, or you will find out that it is not the perfect church and you see the imperfections. It's like going and looking at a used car. You look at a used car in a used car lot, and you go over it with a fine-tooth comb. You might even take it to a mechanic to have it inspected. But it's finally when you get home that you realize in new light that there's a dent, a mark, or a scratch, or you drive it and you hear that rattle that you did not hear before. You notice the imperfections, and so it is with a church. And there's many ways to be able to learn about how to do things Sometimes I think it is great to be able to learn through mistakes. You learn how not to be able to do things. You understand what went wrong, how to be able to improve it. However, often it's not the best thing to be able to merely look at errors to be able to find the correct way, because sometimes you might find many more errors before you find the correct way. And in some way, the book of Philippians is one of the best books to be able to study, to be able to look at what a good church looks like. Again, it is not a perfect church. There are no blazing red flags with errors in doctrine. Paul is not addressing, writing to be able to to write to them as he does in the book of Galatians. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? There are errors and faults. There's conflict within this church between these two members and their households. But we do seek... And we do see a church that seeks to partner with Paul in his missionary endeavors. And we can learn a lot about the church, particularly from this church, which we find in Philippians. Now, I want to give credit where credit is due. And that is that uh, Pastor David Strain, in his commentary on Philippians, he, he poses this question. And he addresses that as he preached through this section of Philippians. And that then resonated with me, and I think you see a slight flavor of that in tonight's sermon. So what is an almost perfect church? As we remember last time, as we saw the founding and the starting of First Presbyterian Church in Philippi, here this church is. What does this church look like? The first thing that we see here in Christ's church is Christ is, the church is Christ's and we are his servants. The church is Christ's, and we are his servants. Here, Paul and Timothy introduce themselves in this letter as servants. Now, we touched on this a little bit last time, but I think it's important as we think about what the church is. That the church only has one master and one Lord, Jesus Christ. As Jude warns of those who come creeping into the church unnoticed, he says that they They pervert the grace of God into sensuality, but they also deny our only Master Jesus Christ, Lord and Master Jesus Christ. And here in the book of Philippians, again we see the church is made up of servants. Paul and Timothy do not claim to be the head of the church, but they are merely servants of Christ Jesus. Chrysostom, one of the famous golden mouth preachers he is called in his homily on this, he says here, as writing to those of equal honor, he does not set down his rank of teacher, but another and that of a great one. And what is that? He calls himself a servant, not an apostle. For great truly is that this rank too. And the sum of all good things to be a servant of Christ and not merely To be called so, the servant of Christ, is truly a free man in respect of sin and being genuine servant. He is not a servant to any other, since he would not be Christ's servants, but by halves. Here, Paul and Timothy introduce themselves and, and Christ's church should be filled with servants. That here Christ is the head and the master Paul eloquently puts this throughout his book in the in Ephesians. It says in chapter one he put all things under his feet, that is Christ, and gave him as head over all things to the church. He uses this theology then in chapter five where he says that the husband is the head of the wife as even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and himself its Savior. Here he shows the sacrificial nature of Christ coming to be able to serve his church. And so too, the church of Christ is filled with his servants. So one of the biggest issues which the Reformers had with the Catholic Church was they said that the Pope was the head of the church on earth. This is why almost every form of Presbyterian government begins in some way or another with this glorious opening statement. Jesus Christ, whose shoulders the government rest, whose name is wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of whose government and peace there shall be no end, who sits upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom, to order it and to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever, having all power given to him in heaven, and in earth by the Father who raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in which is to come. He has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. He been ascended up, far above all heavens, that he might fill all things received for his church and gave all officers necessary offices necessary, for the edification of his church and the perfecting of his saints. Here, it, it, the fundamental truth that is ingrained here is that Christ is the head of the church. Paul does not claim that this is his church, although he is one that founded this church. This church might not have existed if Paul had not walked into Philippi that very day. The church is filled with servants. The Catholic church sought to be able to separate priests as sacred and members as secular. But the Reformation taught that the the biblical view of priesthood of all believers... Again, this is rooted in what Christ is to the church. Church. Christ is the high priest, the author of Hebrews says. Peter writes in 1 Peter that that you come to him, a living stone rejected by men in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves be living stones and be built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here Christ is the living stone rejected, but we are the living stones that make up his living temple. That here Paul starts off and explains that he is merely but a servant. He in all humility seeks to be able to serve this church. One preacher I heard makes the comments that he didn't like it when people said that they visited his church he would correct them and say, this is not my church. This is Christ's church. And we are all just his servants serving our head and master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now this is a good reminder. When we get upset about things in the church, it's not up to what I think, but what Christ has revealed in his word. It's not up to me. We might be here for a short amount of time, a long amount of time, until the Lord takes us home. But in the end, it's not our church. It's Christ's church, and we are His servants. The second thing that we can learn about this church in Philippi is Christ's church is filled with saints. Paul says, To all the saints in Christ Jesus. What a glorious statement that is. To all the saints. One of the most mysterious aspects of the Christian vocabulary is that we are called saints. You think of those who are sitting beside you, behind you, in front of you, around you, or even who is preaching before you. And more importantly, yourself. And Paul sits there and he says that they are saints. Holy ones. We see this terminology in the word sanctification. To be made holy. And here is that same root word. That that we are saints. There has been errors with this. Regarding this terminology in Wesleyan. Which points towards sinless perfection. That saints means that we do not deliberately sin. Or the opposite. That that every Christian seeks to be able to be a saint. in, In their perfection. Or the opposite aspect which, which drives us not to be able to use this word is elevation, canonization in the Catholic Church. That this became a very common thing in the, the Roman Catholic Church, that those elevated who have lived a, a, a life that is exemplary, often except for those who are martyred, They would be made saints if they performed two miracles that could be um, ascribed to the deceased believer. Then they would be given this title of saint. But here, Paul doesn't say that it is everyone who has reached sinless perfection or even those who have performed two miracles. He says all the church is filled with the saints who are in Christ Jesus. Paul doesn't just use this in the church in Philippi, but this is his common vocabulary of those who are in his in Christ's church. In the book of Romans. Those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Grace and peace to you from our Lord, from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. In the church in Corinth. You think about the church in Corinth in which he's writing to and warning to about all this sexual immorality that's going on within their midst. And he says to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together. With all those in every place called upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Both their Lord and ours. In 2 Corinthians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Well, what makes us saints? It is that we are in Christ We're justified in Christ, sanctified in Christ, glorified in Christ in the last day. Not only is it Christ's church, he has purchased his church with his blood. And that is why we are called saints. Not because we have risen, lowered the bar to a point where we can make it. Not in which we have elevated ourselves to be able to think we have passed the bar. It's because we are in Christ. We are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And the glorious truth of what the church is. We're at both times sinners and saints. We continue to sin because sin still remains within us. It does not reign within us. It remains within us. But we are saints. We are holy ones because he is able to present us blameless in that last day. The third thing we see about Christ's church is, is that in Christ's church there are appointed leaders. We see that there, that the saints in Christ Jesus with overseers and deacons. Now we see not only Paul and Timothy do not call themselves elevated to be heads of the church, or the head of the church in Philippi, but what we see is there is leadership in this church. Here, this term overseers and deacons, bishops, another way to translate this word. Before we get into the nitty-gritty, we need to understand that here there's an important aspect to this, that they're both found in the plural. That it's not merely that there is a overseer and a deacon, but it's plural, there's overseers and deacons. The plurality of godly men. But what we pointed out before that Paul is is a servant of Christ Jesus then does not mean it cuts out or remove any form of leadership. The priesthood of all believers then does not mean that there is no leadership at all. Now we don't have priests, and I'm glad that I'm not an Old Testament priest to sacrifice for your sins, and I'm also glad that I'm not a Catholic priest to be able to hear all your sins. But we do see... That in the New Testament period, we do have specific officers which Christ has given and blessed the church, Paul points out in Ephesians chapter um, 4. That is that of the bishop or elder overseer, interchangeable. Paul uses them both to speak of the same person in Acts chapter 20 and also that of the deacons. Again, that does not count out what Paul says in uh, the first sentence, that he is a servant of Christ Jesus. He speaks to the elders as they stand on the beach of Titus In Acts chapter 20, 20, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. First Peter says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory, Here that does not alleviate or eliminate that Christ is head of the church. That the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. The the main reason they're made overseers is to care for the church like a shepherd for the sheep. But there is a chief shepherd, the cornerstone. It was common in in the times where where Paul was going through planting these churches that he would establish overseers and deacons, elders. He did so in Ephesus as he calls them to be able to come and speak with him in Acts chapter 20. It's exactly why he leaves Titus there to be able to increte. says in chapter 1 verse 5, "...that you may put what remained into order." What does that look like? To appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Notice again the plurality. Appoint elders, not an elder in every town, but elders. Now the plan and the purpose is that underneath every church, under, in every church there would be elder-led. When planning a church in the PCA, we have elders oversee the church. We set up a temporary session, which either comes from a sister church or mother church trying to help assist plant, a presbytery, to be able to shepherd the flock. But it doesn't stop there. Here in in Philippi, Paul specifically says that there's not only just elders, but deacon. The pattern that we see from Acts chapter 6 is then established and follows and flows into the churches. These two officers, offices working side by side, elder and deacon within the church, that the two flourish and grow together. Now, it's interesting in, in, in Titus, Titus is left there only to be able to establish and appoint elders. I think that's because that's what they needed at the time, that a church could function without deacons. However, that's not the pattern pattern is that here Paul gives Timothy the qualifications not just for elders but also for deacons. You see this pattern in Acts chapter 6 flowed through. I think very clearly here in this passage in Philippians. And I think you see the emphasis of not only the clear teaching that the elders oversee but also the work of the deacons. Paul commends the de- the, the church in Philippi for their grace and mercy in their giving. that here you have a church that is willing to partner with other churches and support other churches and their ministries. Philippians chapter 4. And you Philippians yourselves know that from the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into a partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, You sent me help for my needs once again. You're this generous church and I think one of the aspects you can see is this generous church is because of their deacons carrying out their duty in their mercy giving. Philippians chapter 2 verse 25 I've thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and a messenger and a minister to my need. Not only did I seek to be able to teach truth and doctrine, but they also practice their beliefs in the giving of what they have been blessed. You see the establishment of Acts chapter 6, of the deacons carrying out the work of ministry and, and mercy. And I think you see that flourishing here in the book of Philippians. Both seeking to be able to serve the church. The fourth thing that we see in this about the church in Philippi is Christ's church as the gift of the gospel. Grace and peace. Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not merely just a common greeting that Paul would write. This is a fundamental truth of the gospel permeating in the people and life of the church. You cannot have peace without grace. The grace is central to Paul's understanding of salvation. It represents God's unmerited favor extended to humanity through Jesus Christ. And peace is closely connected to this grace that Paul speaks of. It refers to that reconciliation, the effects of grace in the life of the believer. This reconciliation between God and his people brought about by the work of Jesus Christ and together, hand in hand, they encapsulate the essence of the Christian experience. Grace reminds us of God's undeserving favor and love while peace assures us of this restored relationship and harmony we have with God. These words are not merely just an opening comment but a fundamental truth that needs to be reminded. But also one final thing that we see in this short little passage is Christ's church is visible and geographical. All of these truths are found fundamentally, universally displayed in the book of Philippians. they are truths about God's church wherever they may find themselves. But here specifically we see in this. That it's, it's located in a specific region. That they're in the saints who are at Philippi. Here it's written to a real physical church. Filled from, as we understand it, from Acts chapter 16, at least a blue-collar worker in prison who worked in a prison, and a woman business owner selling fine purple linens. They had marriages, they had families, households who were baptized. I'd like to mention and repeat that one, the household baptism. But here they are, they met together. They worshiped God together, they served God together. The great and glorious truth is here, there exists, this was not a mythical church, but they actually exist serving God as servants of God. Saints, holy ones, sanctifying themselves as they, they studied the scriptures together, as they pressed on. But the one who, who began a good work in them would f- bring it to Completion in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had leaders who ever saw them, prayed with them, read the Bible with them, deacons who be able to showed how to be able to administer mercy on their sakes, for their sakes. A group of sinners saved by grace who now have peace, serving God. The great truth of this is that the perfect church does not exist. But we see God has still blessed his church here. The imperfect church to be able to go and proclaim the perfect gospel. To be able to serve the perfect God. The perfect head. We might not do this perfectly, but we can still do it. We're called to be able to do it called to be able to serve Christ. To be called saints in Christ Jesus. To serve wherever the Lord has placed us. And if that is the case of overseeing deacon, then to carry that task out faithfully. Truth is that we see many churches throughout the, the scripture that have faults and flaws and errors and Philippians is not barred from that. But it's a great example for us to be able to understand Christ's church and his promises he has given his church. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Gracious and most merciful Father, we thank you that we see the glorious truth of what you have left on this earth found in your church. That you have promised that you would build it And the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And you are the one who has blessed it. You are the one who has purchased your church with your blood. Lord, let us seek to be able to serve you. Forgive us when we have sought to be able to make this church our own. But let us be humble servants of you. Let us find our holiness and our sanctification only in you alone. Are justified. we are justified not by the works in which we do, but by the works you have done and accomplished for us. Help us if we're overseers or deacons to be able to carry out that task with all faithfulness, seeking to be able to still remain as servants under you in which we will have to give an account. Help us, Lord, to be able to see the grace and peace which you have so freely bestowed upon your church. Let us rest in those truths combined grace given and the peace received. Help us, Lord, in our particular church to carry out these tasks faithfully, that we would be a beacon of light, a lamp on top of a stand, a light and a city on top of a hill, that you would receive all glory and honor even through this small, humble church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His glory and His gospel.